catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. We're talking energy today. According to statistics from the World Bank, over 625 million people in Africa still lack access to electricity. Africa faces an enormous energy challenge. Its growing population and economic progress has sent energy demand soaring. And this calls for a rapid increase in supply on the continent to which all forms of energy must contribute in the decades ahead. Africa therefore has a unique opportunity to pursue sustainable energy development as a basis for long-term prosperity. Africa is richly endowed with fossil-based and renewable energy sources. However, a continued reliance on oil and gas, along with traditional biomass combustion for energy, will bring considerable social, economic, and environmental constraints. Tackling today's energy challenge on the continent, therefore, requires a firm commitment to the accelerated use of modern renewable energy sources. Access to contemporary energy can help generate jobs, industrial activities, transportation, and modernize agriculture in Africa. Most African staple foods need processing, which can be aided and made more efficient by modern energy. Access to liquefied propane gas stoves in Senegal led to a major domestic time savings and improved nutrition. The high upfront capital cost of many resources, particularly renewable resources, is one of the most critical barriers to the development of an energy market. But then there are other challenges like the lack of food security, limited water resources. These factors are necessary for life and most times they take priority over energy initiation. An intergovernmental organization which supports countries in their transition to a sustainable energy future, the International Renewable Energy Agency recently revealed that renewables are now a lot cheaper and can considerably compete with the cost of other energy sources. With the floods and other natural disasters witnessed in Africa in 2020, we ask, is renewable energy cheapest in Africa too? According to reports, the cost of renewable energy has gone down over the years to the point where almost every source of green energy can now compete on cost with oil, coal and gas-fired power plants, according to new data. Hydroelectric power is the cheapest source of renewable energy at an average of $0.05 per kilowatt hour. But the average cost of developing new power plants based on onshore wind, solar, photovoltaic, biomass or geothermal energy is now usually below $0.10 per kilowatt per hour. Well, these are just global average and they vary in individual projects. Today, we have a climate activist the immediate chairperson of Global Executive Board of Plan for the Planet. Also, the 2019 Global South Focal Point of Yongo, the youth constituency of UNFCCC. He's also the Global Focal Point SDG 7 constituency of the major group for children and youth. We have Chagosi Ude with us. Good day, Chagosi. How are you doing? Welcome. Yeah, I'm great, uh, Anthony. Thank you, and good morning. Let's begin this conversation with some facts and figures and numbers. Africa contributes less than 5% to global greenhouse emissions, but the risks far outweigh the contribution. Africa is already showing daring vulnerabilities because in 2020, witness extreme droughts, flooding, storms. These damaging climate risks should not be overlooked by anyone at all. Why do I think 
we are suffering for the sins of others in Africa? So there are a couple of reasons, you know, first is the continent is located or the majority of the continent are spread around the equator. So that's particular geographical underpinning makes it a lot more vulnerable, like the temperatures are quite intense and uh, it's hot generally and the vulnerabilities in that sense are also high. But what makes it even more vulnerable, you know, because the continent is not just the, the only one that is hot. You have the Middle East is way hotter than you have in this continent. But what makes it a lot more vulnerable is because the continent lacks, you know, active capacity. They lack the financial resources. They lack credible and good leadership, you know, to manage the situation or to plan ahead of time or to care for them. So they have less adaptive capacity, less technological materials to be able to plan for this because it when you, when you go to other countries, for example, even countries that are lying close to the sea level, you see that they've, that they've planned futuristically, you know, their, their embankments across the, around the coastal parts of their countries are really formidable. When you look at them, you look like, it looks like they, they've planned for the future, but this is not the case in Africa. And it also comes from a place where these vulnerabilities are not priorities for government planning. You are looking at continents where the countries are still developing, they have competing priorities, they have a lot of kids out of school, the poverty rate is massive. The countries like Nigeria, the capital uh, the poverty capital of the world with their 200 million people, they, they are surpassing India, which is 1.3 billion people, and the number of multidimensionally poor people it's insane. It's, it's totally unacceptable. It's also a combination of factors which ultimately force to the fact that, of course, there are big polluters in Europe and elsewhere who have really made it difficult for these other parts of the world that are not contributing much to emissions, you know, to, to survive. But also on the other part, you see a lack of leadership and confidence at that point where countries are unable to respond. But then, of course, as always, the chief blame goes to the big polluters uh, who are in, in Europe and the rest of the developing, I mean, the, the rest of the global north who have polluted their way to the top. And now we're trying to find a more sustainable way for other developing countries to come through with their own development. So according to the Global Initiative on Accessible, Clean and Efficient Energy, Sustainable Energy for All, little progress has been made with regards to providing access to non-solid cooking foods since the year 1990. Only 25 or 26% of the population in Nigeria had access to non-solid cooking foods with a big difference between urban and the rural areas. In our path to energy security, is our path to energy security far from fossil fuel and biomass or are we close? Again, these things lie, you know, the fall and rise on the, you know, when you look at the Clean Cooking Alliance, there's an organization called the Clean Cooking Alliance, which brings, you know, many organizations that are working on the Clean Cooking Initiative to make sure that uh, clean cooking is developed and uh, centralized and it gets to the most vulnerable people who need it the most. So when you look at the statistics, you find that women are the most affected in this in this part because they are the ones in most African countries that are very patriarchal. They are the ones cooking, they are the ones going to fetch firewood, they are the ones using fossil to cook. And it, it affects their health system because they are almost always in the kitchen. And finally, sustainable, you know, clean cooking mechanisms. It's very important to help them, you know, reduce the time they waste going to fetch firewood, reduce the rate of deforestation in that process, and give them an ample time to be able to find other sources of income that could empower their family financially. 
Yeah, but this is not happening at the scale that it should. I remember the clean cooking initiative that happened in Nigeria when you had the clean cooks toast. Uh, it ended, as always, in a very deep corruption that is not yet explained out until today. So those kind of things, when they come in, because of lack of policy, lack of very competent people to discharge responsibilities, attendance to them, you find out they are misused. I don't really understand how policies work in countries like Nigeria because people sit in their houses from their balcony or from their sofa and announce policy for over 200 million people. I mean, even the devil will not try that. So I don't understand how policies work in that country. And when you look at people who are appointed into certain positions, you know, they barely have knowledge of what is going on. I mean, these are critical sectors. Of course, you're not supposed to know everything. But even if you don't know, you have people who know who can guide you. You're not just supposed to bring in just anyone because you're compensating people with ministerial positions to be there and to be ordering things around, things they don't even have enough knowledge about. So in terms of devolving the energy poverty in Nigeria and the energy security in Nigeria, it's a stark reality and it's one that is also very annoying and very inexplicable because this country has no excuse whatsoever not to go into a sustainable energy plan. You know, if Europe had the sun that Nigeria has, I bet you everywhere would be powered by solar. Even without the sun, they're using solar panels, you know, for a lot of their energy needs. I know from Geneva, we are joining you, we have like a bunch of solar panels here and it powers different needs, you know, especially the high energy needs like, you know, using your washing machine and all those stuff. And But we barely get the sun here as well. So for a country that gets some 24 hours, you know, I mean, for majority of 12 hours in a, in a day, you are supposed to really, really use the energy resource that you have most abundant and not, you know, focusing on something else. So I think for me, I think we can make substantial progress, but it, it falls and rises on leadership. There are policies that should be in place. Sometimes there are subsidies, sometimes there are incentives. But of course, it has to target the most vulnerable people in the rural areas before it gets, you know, because they have lower income. But then there has to be a verifiable proof that is consistent and gradual progress in this process. Unfortunately, we cannot say that for the situation in the country. Just like other parts in the world, Africans depend almost fully on fossil fuel and solid cooking fuels, but Africa's vast renewable resources and failing technology costs drive double-digit growth in development of utility-scale and distributed solar photovoltaics and other renewables across the country. The recent announcement by Abu Dhabi-based International Renewable Energy Agency sounds very encouraging, but is Africa a part of this good news? Well, of course, to some extent, Africa is. When you look around the globe, some of the largest solar farm or solar plant facilities are within the continent. You know, you look at Morocco, you look at Egypt, the ones they're trying to build, they have amazing huge facilities that are capable at full capacity of exporting energy to Europe. I know there are talks about either Morocco exporting to Spain and uh, maybe Egypt exporting to any of the countries close by in the Mediterranean over the sea. Yeah, and this is what the potentialities you get with this. So Africa, of course, it's a small part of that, but could be the major part of that. If we have enough technological, you know, where we are to upscale our use of renewable energy, if we have the capacity in terms of competence of, uh, of, of for the technical people, you know, to engage in this art, if we have the policies to drive it, because a lot of things rise and fall on policy, on what the governance of the country communicates, you know. If the country is dedicated to upscaling its renewable energy use, it's easy to, to implement. For example, in Kenya, for example, 
the national power providers. It's a private company, but also it's linked to the government. You know, they were very lackadaisical, you know, providing power, they come and cut electricity without explanation. They scale fences, jump into people's houses like criminals and cut your electricity because you've not paid up. Of course, they provide electricity way better than Nigeria, but not at that consistent, satisfying standards for, for the people. And then now, because of how exorbitant their bills are and how erratic they are, people started switching to solar energy. There's a company that a lot of companies that provide solar energy packages, and that company started growing. In fact, at a point in the last few weeks, the Kenyan government announced a new regulation to impose that people stop pressurizing this solar company to focus on this national electricity company and people were outraged in fact the government had to delete that document in a few hours after it was posted i'm very interested in that conversation because it shows how much the policies can change so when the government puts pressure on people to stick with the company that they have benefited from the people revolted and switched to solar instantly and then the government came to fight the solar company and they saw that you cannot fight what the people are going for because you're not even helping them you know, on their way. And even though they are still nibbling from the background, but they still but every day. And that is something that we're going to see around the country. For example, in Nigeria, they announced a 50% tariff increase, which they are trying to deny or accept whatever they are, they are doing. They're just shooting themselves on the foot. If we have enough solar energy companies within the country to take advantage of this, we'll find people switching to solar. And the government will be scrambling because this discos or whatever they call them, whether they are distributing, building up or whatever they are doing, they will run out of customers. And once they do that, it becomes a competitive market. All the solar energy companies in the air would win customers. And then the national distributors or the regional distributors also would be wooing customers. The role of the government is to make sure that the policies are there to enable everyone to try. There used to be some kind of incentives to import solar components and renewable energy components, but this president of Mr. Buhari, they increased the tariff to 8%, another increase also to increase the tariff of importing renewable components, you know, to make it more expensive to use solar components in the country. And you wonder what kind of government and what kind of policies these people are making. And of course, it's not far from this where probably they're trying to protect some interest in other industries like people who are important generators or people who are using fossil fuel. But everything rises and falls on leadership, on the communication that the government is dishing out. And when government has failed for decades to provide electricity for the people, it's only fair that you make policies that will allow them to provide it for themselves and have it independent. That's what you call energy democracy. So if Nigerians are able to own their solar system and to, to decide how to use them and when to use them, then the government must have done well in ensuring that they have that power. Yes, let's just look at energy democracy and sustainability. I once heard Bill Gates say something about how sustainable the renewable energy is because Africa has a growing youthful population and at the same time, we're trying to drive industrialization at a fast pace. Fossil fuel and other sources that are not renewable have helped Europe and the Americas and others push industrialization to the peak. Do you think renewable energy can do the same thing for Africa or would we just have to rely on fossil fuel? Because according to Bill Gates, renewable energy alone cannot push industrialization. Well, I would answer in a bunch of contexts. First is that, of course, there are a lot of opinion about how far renewable energy can go, what capacity is there, and the rest of them. There's what you call a hybrid system, when you can use a hybrid system depending on your energy needs and how much they would take in a day or in a year to be able to spare your industry. But I have to tell you that the renewable energy system is being developed consistently, and the latest technology we are seeing gives us hope 
that you would have incredible capacity of renewable energy in the next years and can fully power industries on their own. When you're talking about industries, it depends on what kind of industry. I know that all energy needs can be met by wind power, for example. I know that all energy needs can be met by some solar power, depending on on how much sunlight you're getting, how you're located, and the rest of them. Of course, for Europe, it could be different, but for places like Africa, where you have sufficient supply of renewable of, of solar energy resources, there is only as much that you cannot do with renewable energy power. And again, we may not be able to completely phase out fossil fuel, but what about a comprehensive hybrid system? You're probably powering your industry 50% by solar and 50% by conventional energy means. And as time goes on, as capacities increase, as things build up, you can increase that scale to 100%. Africa is not on the driving seat for renewable energy. What needs to happen is that the continent needs to enable renewable energy technology on the market. Because, I mean, whether you like it or not, nobody is begging you to switch to renewable energy. You must definitely switch. Because it's countries that control the markets that determine where the wave goes. So if you're busy producing tons and tons and tons of oil, who is going to buy that from you? If nobody's buying your oil, you're wasting your time. You have a population of 200 million people. Fine. If all the 200 million people use your oil and gas, are you going to survive economically? Even the oil you're producing, you're not refining it in your country. So what point is it? You know. So nobody's begging anybody to, to switch to renewable energy resources. If you like, you switch. If you don't like, stay there. But you would definitely switch. The countries that have the economic power and who control the market are all switching. And you must switch. There are electric cars coming on board. The other cars will soon phase out of the market and everybody starts driving electric cars. So the earlier you join the train, the better for you. Because if you're waiting and saying you wait it out, all your industries that are fossil fuel based will be more important. And you have stranded assets, just like the company that Dangote is building in Lagos, the refinery. I, for one, personally, of course, as a climate activist, I think it's a wrong investment. I know he's a businessman. Hopefully, he knows how to earn his resources back in a good number of time. But I think that asset would be a stranded resource. In little over a decade's time, it would be a stranded resource. Maybe he thinks he would recoup his money before that time, and maybe it's compatible in use so he could easily switch to another energy source. But uh, from our perspective, from my side, I think it would be a stranded asset in you know, by a decade's time. Looking into this decade and starting from 2021, how do you foresee the challenges and the prospects in the energy sector in Nigeria and in Africa? Well, it's one that is, in most African countries, is optimistic, it's growing, but needs a lot of financing. It needs a lot of innovation, Things need to be manufactured in the African continent. The solar panels, the components, we need to be manufactured in the continent. We need to have enough skilled labor force or workforce that are able to comprehensively, you know, do the work that is required in installation and distribution and everything on their own. So poverty is a big component that will scuttle the use of energy in African continents. And as people increase in their income, earnings, and the rest of them, this will improve. But the government needs to do a heavy lifting on that of helping people to be able to come out of poverty, putting measures to help them to acquire components that are renewable, and the rest can come gradually as development unfolds. But I think finance would be a major challenge, has always been, and will continue to be, and the political will of government to really come into this area, because a lot of governments in Africa see investment in climate change adaptation or mitigation as an exclusive preserve of foreign donors or foreign partners, and that is not true. You're trying to save your life here. If you know how many lives have been lost to vulnerability to climate change, or anyway, it's only the government cares really about human life. I mean, governments like Nigeria doesn't seem like they care. So it was only the government cared that they would be able to really do something about this. 
Thank you very much for your time and insights, Chagosi Ude. I really appreciate it. Yes, my absolute pleasure and have a lovely day. Africa is home to many of the mineral resources that are critical in driving global energy transitions. The Democratic Republic of Congo accounts for two-thirds of global cobalt production and South Africa produces 70% of the world's platinum. Rising demand for the minerals that can support global energy transitions offers an opportunity for mineral-rich countries in Africa to not only provide for their needs but raise funds. When will Africa recognize its huge potential to drive safe energy conservation and leapfrog to a renewable energy-based industrialization? It's a question for all of us. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.